0: Amen. Here we come. Here we go. One more Dominion Sonship Live coming to Thank you for joining us today. And um, I have... What, what I want to do today is really be able to release a reality, if I can say it that way. So many messages. We listen to so many messages. And I, I think at um, the end of... We just did a Dominion conversation this past week around the island, and uh, Boris really summed it up once the cameras were off. And he said, Mom, a lot of verses come out from here, a lot of verses, and it's good, it's good, Scripture is life, life, life. Um, but a lot of these verses many hear, and because they have been in churches off a, a lot, and a lot of these verses are would be common verses that we traverse through. And, um, and so with our minds, we check off, I know that, I know that. And I can add another verse to your verse, I know that. But if we come past the outer layers of your life, and we take a little peek within, would we find those verses there? Can I say better, would I find the reality of truth within your heart? Would I find the reality of the word hid in your heart and working a dominion revelation? Because this word is not a meekness like we think, meekness. It's not humility like we think humility. This word of meekness and humility is dominion on earth. It is just the opposite of pride and arrogance and ego. But it's not a false sense of submission, nor of, oh, yeah, yeah, love you, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so since Boris said that, it has just uh, brought forth a real awakening within me. Are these messages in vain? Because we quote the verses and it hits our heads and we know it all. We just know it all. And we just went through a phase where every single church, the majority of them, closed their doors because of a mandate. I'm sorry to say it is so. And so many hungry and thirsty. So many desiring a higher reality. And what we have seen is a slipping through the cracks into demonized places of addiction and depression and depression because we, the church, the so-called religious structure, know it all. And we can exchange, you know, verses and feel really good about our knowledge base. I'm done with that. I'm done with that in my own life. I'm done with that. If it's not changing me, 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 myself here, to conform me and bring a conformity to the Christ nature, I don't care who sees change or not change. But I know when he is working within me, the number one way is conviction. Are you convicted? I'm not talking about condemnation. Because condemnation takes you right into hell. Like you feel like you're never good enough. I'm talking about a conviction of life within you. And that this life wants expression through you. And the only way we give this dominion life, the life of the very word expression, is by reckoning my outer man dead. What does that look like? And so here now, I can catch myself, go through the verses. No longer desi, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. I can catch myself in the verses. I'm born again. I'm baptized into his death. I can catch myself in those verses. And I'm glad I'm caught in those verses. But have those verses apprehended me? And so we can fool around with our own little selves. With our own little selves to the hide and seek. No one can find me here. I'm so tucked away through the doctrines of, and you can put the little doctrine you're tucked into what you believe about speaking in tongues, what you believe about how you get to heaven. And there's only one way to go to heaven. And Romans 10 outlines that when you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You shall be saved. And so, so I, I, I wanted to, to, to be able, if we go back to the words of Jesus, Back to the words of Jesus today, I have a lot from John and, and to, to ask the Holy Spirit to open our heart and, and not that we don't know it on a level, but allow truth to penetrate your heart and my heart so that life and growth be made evident to all. So let's go to John 17. And this is him praying for us. The first portion, the one I'm really going to read, it's about those immediate disciples that walked with him. But then, in in verse twenty, he'll move into us, the ones that believe because of the word of the disciples. Of course, through the through the writings in the New Testament. But I want to go 17 John and start at verse nine. This is Jesus, the Word. Keep in context who Jesus is. He is the Word. The Word is praying. Life is praying for us. The only way, the only truth, the only life is praying for us. Jesus is praying for us. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. Take note. I do not pray for the world. My title today is actually of heaven, not of earth that we are of heaven and we're not of earth. And I just spoke, my last message was about living stones, and I I wanted to put us back into the body of Christ. That what defines the life, it's Christ within me. That life is only found in Him, and in Him means to be placed in the body of Christ. Individual members, yet one one body, and that was living stones. And so I'm moving on the same, really, a moment of revelation but maybe a little deeper, a little more personal. Now that we know what we really want to know and grow in the knowing that we're part of this glorious body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, that now here we're hearing a prayer that he's praying for each individual member. But take note, he's not praying for the world. He's not praying for the world. It stunned me. It's almost, it's almost like I'd never read it before when I read this just the other day. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world because we've always focused on I pray for them. Why would he say I don't pray for the world? Because we are not of the world. So there's nothing in the world system that Jesus actually prayed for. Can I say that way? Is that too audacious to say? I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I pray for yours. Now, I know the context is he is his disciple and he's, he is walked with his disciples. I mean, his, his, his hour has come. He'll be soon crucified. He knows the plan of the father. Unless a kernel of grain falls to the ground and dies and Jesus being that kernel, there'll be no harvesting of many. So Jesus knows the plan. He came for this one reason, to save those that are lost. And so here, this is the context of the prayer. But it just really came across so strongly. I don't pray for the world, but only for those whom you've given me for their Yours. Which is telling me that prayer has an assignment that the Father directs. I don't do popcorn pray. Let's pray for the world today and the world politics and the world economics. Unless you are led that way specifically, focus on what he's called you to do. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for that which you've entrusted to me. That's the one I'm accountable for. For they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine and i am glorified in them and i am no longer in the world but these are in the world and i come to you holy father keep through your name i come to you holy father jesus praise keep through your name christians those are of christ that bear the name of Jesus. Jesus himself prays to the Father, keep keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Number one desire is this keeping power comes through the unity of the body of Christ. No wonder there's been such a devour through doctrines through various interpretations of Scripture, through strivings of tongues to bring forth division. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them, none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. So all his prayer was to line up with the fulfillment of Scripture. The fulfillment of Scripture. And so here again, we see a parameter of prayer that Jesus is praying, praying, and in the way the prayer is set, it's all about our preservation in the unity of the body of Christ. Verse 13, but now I come to you, meaning that none be lost. There's a fulfillment of Scripture. Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. And so the system of the world is in opposition to those that bear the very word of God. We actually are born of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And wherever we go, we are are really, when we have submitted to the Word, are to be a full expression of divine life that is found in the Word of God because we're demonstrating the Word of God. And this is the consciousness that we are to have, that we are not of the world, but we are of Him and of the Father. And so let's continue here. Hmm. I go back to 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. So don't be praying yourself to be taken out of the world too quickly now. Don't be praying, come, you know, Jesus, come by here. Time for the, for the rapture. Jesus, I can't stand it anymore. Jesus, it's a wrong prayer. He said, I'm not praying. He said, I'm not praying for the world, and I'm also not praying that they be taken out of the world. Wow. So he's not going to pray for the world, and he wants us to stay in the world. Good job, Jesus. Good job. You know why? Because he knows who we are from. He knows who we are, that we are from above, that we are of him. That we are of dominion, and so he has deposited and entrusted us with this precious seed of himself, the word of God, so that we can, just like the command was given to Adam, to subdue and to guard and to till this land for the glory of God. We are not of the world. We are not of the world, the jokes of the world, the, the, the trifle conversations of the world. Really, they ought to, they ought to, like, really uh, ch- chafe you, like, not be comfortable with that. You're separate unto God. And uh, yeah, yeah, I go to church. I can see I'm kind of different because my neighbors don't go to church. That's not your defining moment, by the way. The defining moment is this sanctification that he's going to bring about. A sanctification that happens only through the word of God that sets you apart. That's what sanctify means to be set apart. You have been set apart as the living stone by Christ, the head of the church, himself. And this here is how he's setting you apart by not praying for the world, but leaving you in the world as a deposit of the glory of God. As a deposit of the glory of God, you to demonstrate a brand new life. Oh, boys, does it make sense what I'm saying? Be guy? No, because he's right. He says, Mom, these verses, they can hit people's head, and they think they're so far ahead. And they've kept out, camped out. Time to read from me, Desi Schneider. Take a closer look into Desi Schneider. Have I? Because I can quote some verses. Kept out. Kept out. Camped. Just come to a park. Stopped in my tracks. The only one paralyzed is Satan. That word "lure" that, that in, in, in first John, where John rises, Jesus came for this man to, 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 um, paralyze, to destroy the works of the devil. That word is "lure" to paralyze him. But we live like we are the paralyzed ones. Come on now. We can put little smug faces. But what do you really believe within? Do you feel like you've been paralyzed? Stuck? The only one paralyzed is Satan. And all he has is deception. And from his paralyzed uh, situation, he can only lie about paralysis. Because he is fallen, he can only lie about you having fallen. Which brings forth condemnation. How does it communicate? How does it come across? This lie of fallen. It's his own little moment. He's fallen. How does it come across to you? You're not good enough. You've fallen again. Messed up again. Inadequate again. Oh, shut up, devil. Shut up, devil. You are the fallen one. You missed it. You missed the mark. You are sin himself. But when we play around with these deceptions called condemnation, subtle voices that are overriding the truth of the word of God, so don't be telling me all the verses you can quote. No, I don't care about that. Because I can quote some verses. As well. It's not about quoting verses. It's about the reality from which you live in. From what place? From what place do you live? We live from heaven. A life that is above. Stationed here on earth. To demonstrate a different manner of life. And for each one, it would look different. The way I got born again is through a roommate back in the States. And she demonstrated peace to me. Her stationing in my life at that moment was to de- demonstrate peace like a river. So if that's what you call to do to another, just be peace. Then be peace. Christ in you is the Prince of Peace. Then I think of other, other precious people that have been stationed in my life. They represent something different of God. Goes back to knowing you're fitting in the body of Christ. It's not just, I'm thinking if my roommate, her name is Beatrice, Okay, I'm not good enough of a Christian to show Jesus to Jesse. So, okay, peace is not good enough for me to demonstrate to her. Maybe financial prosperity. Maybe I give her some money. I don't know. People's heads go weird. Driven by inadequacy. Not having the confidence of who he is in them. And how he's showing out himself through them. Because here he says, verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. So here now he's getting a bit more specific. Why is not praying for the world? The evil one is the master of this world. He is the prince of the air. And so there is a sway of wickedness in this world that Jesus (laughs) is not touching in his prayer. Do you know how he does it? But station you right smack in it. So you dominate it. And light casts out darkness. That's how it's done. There, Don't take them out. Just keep them from the evil one. And that he will show you how the keeping happens. They're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. You identify with Jesus, right? He's not of the world. We're neither of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, found obedient to the will of God. I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Through his obedience, we have entered into divine truth, which is rest. I'm not going to go that way now. I'll just focus on being sanctified through truth and that his word is truth. Let's go to, hmm, actually stay in John. Um, stay in John. I'm going to go to John maybe 12, but there is a, in 1 Corinthians, I read this verse a lot. And so it'll be very familiar to you. So just tune out the familiarity and maybe put your eyes on it afresh. And let's, let's, let's. Gain, let it profit us let let this word profit us let it profit us. First uh, Corinthians fifteen I'll, I'll do verse 40, 45 and I'm jumping to 47 and so it is written. this is Paul writing, the first man Adam, the one in the garden of Eden, became a living being we know through the breath of God he became a living being the last Adam referring to the Lord Jesus Christ whose we are now whose body we are part of now became a life-giving spirit so not only are we alive but this is tying into what I said why we're left in the world fully intact through the preserving power of the Holy Spirit, fully sealed for preservation in this hour. But we're left in the world because we are now what? A life-giving spirit. And so, um, him depositing me in my, in my, in my, in my moment of here in the world is for a purpose for me to demonstrate the very life of God to another. To release the life of God to another. And that is how really Satan is driven out. He is removed out of the way. It's from my placement here in the world. Does it make sense? That's why I'm not going to pray for the world. I'm not going to pray for the world. Because the evil one is in the world. But keep them there. So they shut down the evil one. Because he knew he was about to go to the cross and declare it is finished. Satan fully rendered inoperative. Fully paralyzed. And yet, and yet still, Roaming the earth. And God's confidence in us is the seed of this truth. It is not supposed to remain just a seed. It's supposed to grow up and flourish. Grow up and flourish. Grow up and flourish. And how we know it's growing up and flourishing when we start discerning a mind renewal going on. So you come around, your little buddy from 10 years ago, and if they're speaking the same conversation, the same old track record being played, no flourishing, that word is still just a seed. But we want to allow growth to happen because it's about being a life-giving spirit. Because the seed grows and flourishes and produces what becomes a mighty tree with the branches stretched out. So the birds of the air will come and feed off of us. Being a life-giving spirit, a planting of the Lord. Verse 47, the first man was of the earth, earthly, right, made of dust, made of dust, made of dust. We're not no more made just of dust. We're born again. And that's what we're going to find out. The second man, Adam, is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, as is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. Today, do you know you are heavenly? How would you know you are heavenly if you're born again? You are heavenly. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're citizen now of heaven. You are heavenly. And as we have bore the image of the man of dust. Now, this is the outer man. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And we know what we've read in, in Romans 8, that we now conform to this heavenly man. we conform to the image of Jesus. But don't finish off there. Go to verse 50. Now this I say, this is key. Now this I say, Paul writes, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, flesh and blood, the earthly of dust, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. What does that mean? Your flesh nature will never benefit from the word of God. Your fleshy way will never partake of the heavenly nature. Your unrenewed mind will never bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Carnality is good for one thing, death. Let it die. In order for you to forsake this mindset, I often think, what, what is it that that gives me a passion to press? What is it that gives me a passion to forsake the old way? It is this desire to be conformed to him. It is his desire to have the peace of his mind. It is his desire to to walk as he walked earth, that no one could touch him. It's this desire to be truly, to be a true reflection of the one that has saved me from hell. From hell. It's not a joke. We were all hell bound. It's a real place, a real destination, and there's a real Satan and a real oppressor and minions, and it is real. And that that plays with flesh and blood. This lower reality of fallen world plays with your flesh and blood, eats you up has confidence in your flesh, has confidence in how you were raised in the flesh. So the best thing you can do is separate quickly, separate quickly from the familiar family of the old, fleshy, worldly way. does mean you don't. Talk to your family members. I'm talking about ways of thought. I'm talking because in godly families, of course, children are raised in godly ways. and I'm talking about worldly ways. Worldly ways that even in Christian homes we can at times engage. But this is why it's important to know that you are of God now. That you're part of the body of Christ because flesh and blood cannot, cannot. Did he say can maybe potentially if you're real, real, real special? If you do so, so, so many, 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 many miracles, you maybe, 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 maybe qualify, you may potentially could qualify. Don't have to change. And then inherit the kingdom of God. But I love what he says after that. Nor does corruption inherit in corruption. Your outer man is corrupt. The thoughts of the flesh man are corrupt. Oh no, not mine. Not mine. Yeah. Every fleshy thought. Every thought. And to each one it would look a little different. Not good enough, inadequacy. Um Poverty. I don't have enough. We'll never have enough. I've never had much. I just will never, I'll just, I'll just, just whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know. For each one, it sounds a bit different, but that of corruption that has not been reckoned dead cannot inherit incorruption, which is that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It's knowing in Him I am complete and only in Him am I complete. Only in Him am I complete. Let's go to First Corinthians because I'm going to go back to John. I think it's first. It first. First Corinthians six fifteen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to our harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So that where he is, I am. As he is, so am I. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And then that's why you flew sexual immorality in verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple? My body, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. Whom I have from God. And you're not your own. You're not your own. So you really don't have a right to make flippant decisions because you're not your own. And that's why you will have to give an account because you're not your own. I think on some level, level, because I can carry my body wherever I carry my body, I can close the door and do things behind closed doors. I can close the door to what goes in my mind. No one knows what goes inside of me. And I can think out any old carnal, corrupt thoughts. No one sees. And we can pretend even God doesn't really care. His blood covers me. But we're not, we're not alone. For you were bought at a price. Sobriety today. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. So now, and that's what Romans 6 says, I'm to yield my members this body as, as for righteousness sake to members of righteousness. And so when I talk about reckoning the outer man dead, I'm not talking about killing your body because then you would be up in heaven. I'm talking about I'm talking about the nature of the old man, the flesh, those things that have ruled our minds, that have brought forth conformity to the world, that we sound exactly like the world sounds, that we live exactly like the world lives, that we have the same ambitions as the world does. There is a higher way in a chapter, is it first second Corinthians? Let me just see chapter 3. It's 2 Corinthians. It's writing to the Corinthians. Yeah, I mean, I think of out of all the the epistles of Paul, I really sense his passion the most when I read Corinthians 1 and 2. I really do. To see... uh, the body walk the right way. There's such a passion that comes out of Paul in these writings. But in in 3.3, he writes, clearly you are an epistle of Christ. He's bringing such correction to this local body. Clearly you are, you are an epistle, a letter of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God. My life, my life, is to express this divine writing of life written by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, But our sufficiency is from God. So when I speak these messages, the only reality that I want us to live, is out of this reality of sufficiency. But even at that moment, we're realizing it's not of my doing. It's of God. But because it's of God doesn't mean I do nothing either. Like he just said, you're not your own. You've been purchased. But though I'm purchased and I'm not my own, I still have a decision where I'm going to take my body if I'm going to join it with a harlot. So we come back to the sense of responsibility or what I would say, engagement. Engagement with the Holy Spirit. Engagement with the Word of God to bring forth a conformity to a brand new nature. That I, of my own, Outer man cannot do, and yet I am to comply with his doing in me. Verse 6 So, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit? For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life, gives life, meaning that this sufficiency that is of God, that is from the living spirit of the living God, has also qualified for us to be ministers of life. Ministers of the letter that gives life that does not kill. And, um, from here, let's go to John 12. Transformation. Transformation. The way of heaven and not of earth. Transformation. Maybe that's the passion that I'm at. If this is, is this, and, and, and we can, we can, we can, we can get all passionate about it. But unless we go home and, and make some decisions, and they always look like change. Make some, some accountable account, uh, uh, bring about accountability of my actions before God. Like, like present my life before God. Not, not because I want to be condemned, but I just want to grow up. I just want to, I just want to grow up. Um, in John, actually before we go to 12, let's do, cause I don't think we did John 6, did we? Did we do John 6? No. Because Jesus walked this way. Look what Jesus said about himself. In verse... hmm. Verse 33, he said, For the the bread, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. He knew exactly where he was from. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This is it. He was what? A life-giving spirit. This is where you see it. Whoever comes from heaven, he is the heavenly man. The second Adam was what? Not just a living spirit, but a life-giving spirit. We see it right here in the very words of Jesus. That he came from heaven to give life to the world. We are in the same manner. In Christ, though. Only in Christ. And then in, um, let's go down 41. I am, the red letters there. I am the bread which came down from heaven. And then 42, the last line in 42, red letters, I've come down from heaven. He knew his citizenship. He knew, and yet, like Philippians says, he didn't count, he didn't count a robbery to, to identify with God, and yet he humbled himself and came to die so he can give life. He knew the assignment. We have the same assignment, by the way, in, um, Hmm, let's go. 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Yet uh, your fathers ate the matter in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. See, that's why flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God because of corruption. It's only when you eat of His divine life, the breaking of the bread of His body, the Word of God, you are now a child of the Spirit. You are born again. And this is how you become partaker of divine nature. This is totally supernatural. Do you know Christianity is supernatural? It's not of the natural. What does it mean? And it was this very statement that offended so many that they just left him. To them it sounded foul, but it's a small spiritual thing, is to eat of his body and drink of his blood, to be a partaker of this divine nature that is found in the word of God. That he was the one true living sacrifice, that he, he poured out his blood. How spiritual is that? Catch it. In the occult, they practice wickedness through the blood of animals. We have the blood of the living God and live as mere man in corruption, in flesh and blood identification. When he's saying, "If you, I am from heaven, and I came as bread to you from heaven to give you life. I am the bread of life. And if you eat of me, eat of him today. Eat of him. How? Meditate. Abide in the word. Abide. Eat the word. Eat the word. Brings transformation. His life is in his word. It brings transformation. And you walk in eternal life. Never to taste death. He says, if you eat in 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. Why are you afraid of dying? Why is death so dangerous to you? Unrenewed mind. When you're supposed to be what? A life-giving spirit. Such confidence Jesus has in who he has made us through this new creation. To place us right in the epicenter of Satan. To be kept, to be kept from wicked hands that want to devour us every single second of every single day. Untouchable. Uh Aha. What? I'm of God. I've eaten of this divine bread. I of a new reality. I'm going to keep on talking on. If you might have to make two messages out of it, I don't care. I'm of the living bread, he says. 51. I am the living bread. And of course, I am of, of the living bread too. But Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread. If anyone eats. How about you check yourself? Have eaten? Yes, I have. All right, all right. The next is my portion then. He will live forever. He will live forever. And we know this life is an abundant life of God. The zoe life of God. A heavenly reality of life. Not a busted life. Not a destroyable life. A life that is from above. A life that looks different. A life that ministers peace and joy and edification to another. And the bread that I shall give. Look at this. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. For the life of the world. That's why he's not going to pray for the world. He's given his life. He doesn't pray vain repetitions. He doesn't pray just because it sounds good. He knows what he does. And he prays accordingly. Satan must have have flipped out when he heard this. Satan must have flipped out when he heard this. Jesus, what I just read, the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Satan is death himself. He thought he had the upper hand. He thought he had humanity in the grip of death. And that is why, that is why now you understand why, why, why um, Paul writes to Corinthians that if Satan knew that this is how it was going to be done through a death, he would have not crucified the Son of glory. Satan hates life. Satan hates your life. Satan hates anything that represents life. Too bad. So sad. Not so sad. Too late, devil. And this is for 53. What a spiritual statement. Does anyone have a passion translation? Can I borrow? I'm going to read the... um, New King James and the Passion, it's so powerful. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. We are eating of a spiritual reality. We are of heaven. Unless we eat this flesh and blood, unless we identify with this flesh and blood that is from heaven, Earthly flesh and blood, Bible says what? Does not inherit the kingdom of God. And that, I believe, is the biggest, biggest struggle to a Christian, not knowing how to live out this reality of heaven by being a partaker of the only flesh and blood that counts in the spirit. Actually, natural flesh and blood counts as well in the spirit of Satan's world destruction. It's his food. But the flesh and blood of our master, that he did once for all, once for all, is our liberty into this divine life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Unity, union, oneness, through the through his body, through his body only. Not by coming... And reading the same verse the same way and bring three more people through the same verse the same way. And so now we made a little doctrine of, I don't know, five people. No, no. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me. And I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the man, not as your fathers ate the man, not as you eat the natural bread. And are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. He who eats his body, his, he drinks his blood, We live forever. So I'm going to read this in the Passion. I'm going to close off with that. So it's John six fifty three. Uh, look at 52. These words of... This is pa- Passion Translation. These words of Jesus sparked an angry outburst among the Jews. So let's see. Let's see. What's causing all this kafafo? They protested, saying, Does this man expect us to eat his body? And now Jesus responds, Jesus replied to them, listen to this eternal truth. Unless you eat the body of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have eternal life. Eternal life comes to the one who eats my body and drinks my blood. And I'll raise him up in the last day. For my body is real food for your spirit and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my body and drinks my blood lives in me and I live in him. The father of life sent me and he is my life. This is the continuation further on. Did I read that? I'll read it here in, the, in this. Um, the father of life sent me and he is my life. In the same way, the one who feeds upon me, I will become his life. The one that feeds upon me, he said. Are you feeding on him so he becomes your life? I'm not like the bread your ancestors ate and later died. I am the living bread that comes from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. Eat this bread and you will live forever. Oh, you'll live forever forever. Um I just okay, since we just one more. I said I was gonna close, but I'm not gonna close. John seventeen seven sixteen. Just this one verse. Because that I just had to close with this because it it just tripped a bit, the the religious people, the um the Pharisees flipped out on that statement, and even his own disciples and they just walked away. many of them did that day but here in John seven sixteen look at Jesus's answer, and he said, "My doctrine is not mine, so everything that he spoke was of the Father, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from his He who speaks from himself, separate from the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who speaks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And look at this, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law yet? None of you uh, keeps the law. Um, Why do you seek to kill me then? So what he's saying is, His word is from heaven, and he knows exactly who he is. And when we tap into this reality of who exactly he is, that he is from heaven, and that we're now found in this heavenly man, and that his words come from the heavenly Father, And that because we are keeping His words and we're speaking from His words, then no unrighteousness will touch us. So I wanted to bring this up to say that Jesus prayed that the Father will keep us in this world where the evil one is. But here we also see another moment of keeping is by me trusting that His words are from heaven and I'll speak from His words so that no unrighteousness touches me. So here we see the play of not only is it up to God, but it's up to me as well. So that which I believe and that which I say determines how I walk and will affect the keeping power of God in my life. Amen. We're done. Oh, glory be to God. Yay, yay, yay.